I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 through 45 and all over the place. I want to share with you a message as we start a new series entitled Joseph and the Average Joe, a message that's a little bit unusual for me to share. Uh, typically, uh, I'll take a, a specific passage of Scripture and we will walk through that verse by verse and we will unpack that together. But this is more of an introduction to where God is taking us over the next six, seven weeks together. And so uh, this is part one uh, of a series of messages that will start tonight and it will be on Sunday nights at six o'clock. You won't want to miss what God has to teach us through the life of Joseph. Well, one of my favorite things about this book that we read, that we uh, give worth to, is that it's not just a collection of truths that are abstract. I mean, it's true, all of it is true, but it's not just abstract truths, it's truths that interface with what we are dealing with day in and day out. We read of people who had real-life situations, and it's not a book of just exceptions. Well, this is what God did in Noah's life. This is what God did in Moses' life. This is what God did in Joseph's life, but he may not do that in mine. God has given us a book full of examples of what he has already done, what he is doing right now, and what he wants to do in your life and in my life. And so I want you to take your attention with me over the next number of minutes as we walk through uh, more of kind of like this summary or this movie trailer of the life of Joseph and what God did in his life. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. We're going to see that Joseph's story teaches us how to respond to evil with good. How many of you feel like that you've had some evil aimed at you? You've had some bad things happen in your life. Some of us don't have to think very hard. You could just say, hey, it feels like the deck has been stacked against me since as long as I can remember. You have carried stuff that has gone wrong, things that have happened to you, things that people have done to you, and it's almost like rocks in your heart that you drag around and it begins to affect every area of your life. You're not alone. If we're honest, most of us in this room could think of at least a time in our life when we walk through that. Joseph's story teaches us how to respond to evil with good. And and we see here that God's sovereignty allowed Joseph to be in all kinds of situations. We sometimes get some false ideas that if, if you really love God, if you serve God, nothing will go wrong in your life. If you are a Christian, like Pastor Brady talked about, then you would never be facing what it is you're facing. And friends, this is a lie from the pit of hell. The enemy does not want you to catch this truth today. There is victory for somebody here today. And let's press in together and see what God has for us. In this running summary of Joseph's life, we're going to target some of the highlights and the high points this morning and go in detail on Sunday evenings for the next six weeks. Joseph was 17 years old. He was tending his father's flocks and with his half-brothers there, Joseph deemed himself the person to tattle on his brothers. I don't know if you have kids in your house that have learned this wonderful joy of telling on each other, but it doesn't make for very good brother dynamics. When one is always telling on the other. And Joseph was taking it upon himself to kind of be the one who would chart the course and say, Hey, Dad, this is what's going on. This is what they're doing. And and he didn't have a great relationship with his brothers. Now, Joseph's dad, Jacob, loved Joseph 
more than the rest. And this was a recipe of disaster. I mean, he expressed his love. You've heard this story. You have seen uh, movies of it. You've seen Broadway uh, productions of this with this coat of many colors that was given to Joseph to show how much dad loved him. He was the favorite son. His brothers were not very excited about this kind of favoritism. And we see Joseph, one of the first things we catch about his life, the evil that is aimed at him, the cards that are stacked against him, the challenges he has, he is born into a dysfunctional family. He is born into a family that is all messed up, it is so confused, it's all over the map, and tonight, that's what we're going to focus in on, is look at the dysfunctional family that Joseph was born into. Some of us can identify right here up front with Joseph's life and say, hey, I have got, like, the top ten of dysfunctional families that I'm related to. I mean, I don't have to go very far to think of all kinds of weird stuff that happens in our family. There's encouragement here in God's Word. God can work through dysfunctional families. Amen? Joseph had some more things going against him, not just that. Part of this dysfunctional family was this partiality that Jacob showed to Joseph. And it produced some not-so-good things in Joseph's life and not some good things in the brother's life. And he was quickly rejected by his siblings. I don't know if you have ever felt like the black sheep. I don't know if you've ever felt like the one who didn't quite fit in, the one who wasn't accepted, the one who was made fun of, the one who was pushed to the side. Joseph knew exactly what that felt like. And the Scripture tells us in this passage of Scripture here, you see in these chapters, these 10, 13 chapters, that we find Joseph was receiving all kinds of pushback from his brothers. One day, Joseph was coming towards his brothers, and the scripture tells us that from a a distance, the brothers began to talk about what they should do with this less than favorite brother. And the, the common talk was, well, we should just get rid of him. We should kill him. He made them so mad, they would just rather him not even exist or be alive. And, and the one brother who kind of had Joseph's back a little bit was, was a little bit in his favor and said, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. I don't know. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like the person who was for you the most wasn't really for you? They were just the lesser of the evils? I mean, everybody else wanted to kill you, and and that other person, they didn't like you so much, but they just didn't want to see you dead, and so they voted to say, all right, let's just put him in the pit. You know what happens. As he was thrown into the pit, they got him in there, and then they saw this traveling group of foreigners, this caravan came by, and he was not only born in a dysfunctional family, he was rejected by his siblings, but he was sold into slavery. The brothers said, hey, If we're just going to leave him in this pit to die, we might as well make some money off of him. Let's pull him out. Let's sell him into slavery. Let's tell Dad that some wild animal ate him. It's a win-win. Joseph's gone. We get money. Dad likes us better now. Great family dynamics. So Joseph is now abandoned to a foreign land. Imagine that you're 17 years old. You're abandoned by your family. You don't know the culture that you've been brought into. You don't know the language there. You've gone from being Mr. Center of Attention with all kinds of privilege from dad to the slave that is being sold. Scripture tells us that Potiphar, who is the head of the secret service for this king of Egypt, he buys Joseph. Number four, we look at Joseph's life. We see that he's sold into slavery. And Joseph has these unique abilities, these strengths, these gifts that God has given to him. First, he had the ability to interpret dreams. Second, he was just crazy good with administration. 
he was a strategic thinker. He could make a strategic plan happen like nobody else. And Potiphar, who watched God's hand on Joseph, everything that Joseph touched seemed to succeed. And he said, I want you to be in charge of my house, in charge of the rest of the slaves, in charge of all of my my resources. I'm going to put you in charge. And even though Joseph's life was not so good at this point, it was starting to look a little bit better. He was starting to be recognized for the gifts and strengths that God had given him as he was using them there in in Potiphar's house. But just as things started to get better, somebody else noticed Joseph. You remember the story. Potiphar's wife, the boss, the slave owner of Joseph, his wife saw Joseph and noticed that he was pretty stunning. I don't know, I guess Joseph was the George Clooney or the Brad Pitt of his day, and he was pretty good looking, and she said, I like what I see. So she was so forward, she went up to Joseph, and and she said, my husband is away for business, he's gone, and and I want to be intimate with you, I want to sleep with you. Joseph, taken back by the forwardness of this, he says, I can't do this, I couldn't betray my owner, my boss, I, I can't do this to his family, to you, and, and surely I can't do this to God. I don't want to have anything to do with this. One day she was so persistent, she cornered him as he was there and cornered him back into the bedroom and she made her advances to him again and Literally, Scripture says, he had to run out of his coat, out of his cloak, out of his jacket to get away from her as she tried to cling on to him. As he ran from the temptation, his coat was there in the bedroom, and she decided to take this opportunity to get back at Joseph. She tells her husband when he gets home that Joseph tried to rape her. Here's the evidence. His his coat is in my bedroom and I could barely get away from him. And he was making these advances to me. He, He took advantage of me. Joseph was falsely accused of rape. Potiphar is obviously upset. Wanting to believe his wife, he didn't see much choice other than to throw Joseph into prison. He is born into a family that's dysfunctional. He has been rejected by his siblings, he's abandoned to a foreign land, he's sold into slavery, he's falsely accused of rape, and now he is sent to prison unjustly. Here's where I'm going to have to ask that you read the rest of this story on your own this afternoon, or make sure you don't miss Sunday nights the next six weeks as we look in depth at what God is teaching us through the life of Joseph. We get the quick summary here. While he was in prison, Joseph meets the cupbearer. And a baker. They both have dreams, and the cupbearer comes to Joseph with his dream, and Joseph says, I can interpret that dream. In three days you will be restored to your position. The baker comes to him with his dream, and he says, I can interpret that as well. In three days you're going to have your head cut off. This is not the most exciting news to give to somebody when you're in prison. This doesn't make for just great conversation to win friends and try to build your way and influence in the prison system. But he was using his gifts of what God had given him. He gave the interpretation of the dream. And then he says to this cupbearer, don't forget me. When you go to Pharaoh, when you're released, when you're restored to your position, don't forget me. Tell them that I am unjustly accused of these things, that I am not supposed to be in prison. Don't forget me. As you guessed it, Joseph was forgotten by his friends. Maybe today you say, you know, I don't know if my family's that dysfunctional. I mean, they're a little bit weird, but I don't know that I would have said dysfunctional. I don't know if I felt out and out rejected by my siblings, but 
I can identify with being forgotten by friends. I feel unnoticed. I feel pushed aside. I feel like that nobody would really care if I didn't show up to whatever it was that you chose not to show up to. Look at what's going on in Joseph's life. Dysfunctional family, rejected, abandoned, sold into slavery, falsely accused, in prison unjustly, forgotten by his friends. He knows what it's like to have evil aimed at him. He knows what it's like to have a bad day, to have the cards stacked against him. Have you ever had things hurled at you? Have you ever felt like things just weren't going right? That evil just seems to be aimed at you. Have you ever felt like it's just not fair? At our house, we have an eight-year-old who's discovered this phrase, and it's amazing how many times it can be applied. It's not fair. Can I have a snack? No. Why? You just had dinner. That's not fair. It's not fair that you had dinner. It's not fair that it was, what's not fair about this situation? We expect kids to, to say it's not fair, but as adults, we have the same attitude. We have the same thing that cries out, and you know what? Sometimes it isn't fair. It's not that we're just whining. It's not that we, we're, we're complaining. It's just not fair. What was done to you is wrong, and what you've experienced is not right. You don't deserve it. Most people who go through those kind of things, it breaks them. But Joseph, it didn't break him. It made him. For Joseph and for us, these evil things aimed at us don't have to break us. They can make us into what God is chiseling away at us and creating us to be. Many of us can spend our entire life blaming those who hurt us. We carry a grudge. We don't tell everybody, but everybody knows something isn't right. We rehearse the hurts over and over and over and over and over, and it impacts us deeply. Some of us carry tremendous guilt for the things that we have done, and the person we're angry at, the person we can't forgive, is our very self. And, and people don't know all the details, but they can just get close enough to us and go, something's not right. And, and there is this weight like a bag of rocks in your heart that you're dragging through life. We blame God every way that we can. It eats away at us in even ways that we're unaware of. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can respond the way Joseph responds, and we can learn from him and his story. Over the next six weeks and Sunday nights, we're going to see how the story ends up. One day, Pharaoh had a dream and needed it to be interpreted. As you remember, finally Joseph was remembered. He was brought to Pharaoh, and he interprets the dream, not in an arrogant way like he had done when he was back home with his brothers, but in a way that was humble, and he gave glory to God. And when he interprets this dream, he saves the land from famine. Pharaoh recognizes his leadership ability, puts him in second in command. He's in charge even over his brothers who were away at home, and God takes him from the pit to the palace, and he does a tremendous thing in his life. The theme of Joseph's life in this text, is that the Lord was with him. Over and over it says the Lord was with Joseph. Now let's take the remainder of our time and let's press in together and see Joseph's response to evil circumstances and what we can take from it. He first, he survived, he learned, and he adapted to what was going on. Sometimes in the hard things in life, surviving seems like an impossibility. 
The Lord was with him and he saved him. It wasn't like he expected. Some of us, this is a truth right here that we can hang on to, that though you are facing the challenges and God hasn't delivered you the way that you think that he should or the way that you'd hope, you can survive. Now don't miss this. He had to learn to adapt. He was Mr. Center of the Universe. He was Dad's favorite kid. He had everything he ever wanted. And he had to learn and adapt to live in poverty, to live in chains, to live in different circumstances. But God taught him that he would never leave him and he could survive more than he ever imagined. But as he went from privilege to poverty, he didn't just survive. This passage tells us that he thrived. He used his gifts where he was at. He used his gifts and he ended up the head of Potiphar's house from his leadership skills. He was in prison and he used his gifts of interpreting dreams and he saw God work. He didn't sulk in the situation. He didn't whine. He didn't complain. He didn't try to get even. He used what God gave him in the situation he found himself and he thrived. Next, we see he not only survived, he thrived, he resisted the temptation to bail out on God's agenda for his life. He refused the temptation that Potiphar's wife brought to him to fall into sexual sin, but he was tempted, like many of us, to bail on God's plan for his life. How many of us, we bail on God's plan at the first sign of discomfort? We've given our life to God, we're ready to go the distance with Him, but as soon as something gets uncomfortable, God, I can't take it. How many of us bail on God's plan at the first sign of pain? God, this hurts, I didn't know this would hurt, I didn't expect it to feel this way. We give up. We bail on God's plan at the first sign of loneliness. I didn't know I would only be with you, God. I thought there'd be a a group of friends around me, but we are also called to stay with God's plan the same way that Joseph did, not to bail on his plan, not to trade it in for a quick fix that the enemy wants to dangle before us. Number four, he waited on God's time and place. I'm not trying to be a broken record, but I encourage you to dive in with us on Sunday night. As we look verse by verse at what Joseph has to teach us on waiting on God. There's so much here for us. What you'll see is that God has a really, really big and good plan for your life. And there will always be people who want to wreck God's plans in your life. And there's those who have evil desires, evil plans that they will try to throw them at you. But God cannot be thwarted by those who bring evil against you. He takes what they give. He takes what they bring. He reforms it. And he uses it to make his plan even better. So, well, Pastor, where are you getting that? In the text, in these chapters, we see that if his brothers never rejected him, he'd never been sold into slavery to that caravan. If he was never sold into slavery, he would have never been in Potiphar's house. If he was never in Potiphar's house, he would never been unjustly accused and he would never been sent to prison. If he never went to prison, he'd never meet the cupbearer and and the cupbearer would not even know who he was to recommend him to Pharaoh. If he was never recommended to Pharaoh, he'd never been seen for the gifts that God had given him. He would never have been put in second in command and he would never have been able to save a nation from famine and to bring restoration to his family. You see, God used 13 years of adversity. God help us. I don't like 13 minutes of discomfort. I don't like 13 minutes of pain. 
I'm not going to just keep a bottle of Excedrin in the medicine cabinet. I've got one in the truck. I've got one next to the bed. If I have a headache, why should I wait in pain anymore? I want it gone. We live in a society that is instant fixes, and that's not all bad. But we begin to apply this to our life spiritually, and as soon as things get tough, as soon as things get hard, we say, God, get me out of this mess. Thirteen years, God allowed Joseph to walk through this pain and hurt, and God used all of it to get the right man at the right place at the right time. Friend, I know there's people who have hurt you. But they don't have the power to run your life without your permission. Hear me. I'm not saying that they can't do bad things to you. I'm not saying that if you love God, everything will go the way you hope. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. But they don't have the power to run your life. God will and he can take it all and he can use it for the good of his plan in your life. But most people bail out on God's plan. Well, Joseph continued, he also grew. He faced the issues and he forgave others of their things. See, when we look at this story, we begin to see a change in Joseph. He's no longer egocentric like he was at the beginning of his narrative where he was so excited about his ability to interpret dreams. He seemed to always be the center of everything. But now humble, he was quick to give God the glory and he also forgives those who hurt him. Now check this out. Later, as we study Joseph's life, he has two sons, two boys, and he names them Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh means, God has caused me to forget. And Ephraim means fruitful. This blows my mind. Think about it. God was doing so much amazing work in Joseph. His work even came out in how Joseph named his sons. Is there any imprint lasting on your family of what God is doing in your life that they will carry with them almost as an identity, as a name? God has caused me to forget the pain of others. He's caused me to forgive. God has been faithful and helped me be fruitful in this life. And it is stamped on the people around us. For Joseph, that's what happened. It wasn't easy. It was 13 years of adversity. But God clearly was at work. See, we are always looking for God to change our situation. And it's appropriate to cry out to God. But friend, God is often more interested in changing you and me than the circumstances around us. Look at number two on your outline here. Joseph's secret to responding to evil with good involved three things. Something that he knew, something that he did, and something that He refused to do. I believe it's in these things that we have some takeaways for today. What was it that he knew? What was it that he did? What was it that he refused to do that we could allow to speak truth into our life? Listen to Genesis 45, verse 5 through 8. We find Joseph is now standing before his brothers, and all these things I've told you have happened, and he has an opportunity now to get even. His brothers have come to him. He's second in command, and he's... uh, in a place where he could really pay them back. He could tell them what for. He could really dig the knife in deeper. And here's his response. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. In the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you. 
to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord to his entire household and ruler over Egypt. Check this out. He's saying, yeah, yeah, you guys sold me into slavery. Yeah, you did these things. But God was in control the whole time. God wasn't trying to cause pain for me, but he took your evil things and he turned them upside down and he brought good not only for me, but for you and for an entire nation. Here's what Joseph knew. Nothing comes into our life by accident. Either it is decreed or it is allowed by an all-wise and sovereign God for our good. I'm not trying to suggest that the pain or the hurt that you have faced is God's idea of filling space in your life. No, the evil is very evil. The injustice is very unjust. It breaks God's heart. But he says, I won't leave you and I'm not going to let anything go to waste. I'm going to take even those attacks of Satan himself and I'm going to turn them upside down. And I'm going to bring about a greater good for you and for those who trust in me. So what does this mean for us? We need to stop playing the victim card. I am never required to be a victim. Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. He was rejected by his siblings. He was abandoned to a foreign land. He was sold into slavery, falsely accused of sexual sin. He was in prison unjustly, and he was forgotten by his friends. If anybody could say, it's not fair, I'm a victim, I think Joseph had the right. He said, but I know something, that God has my best interests at heart. And even in the 13 years of adversity, he never left me. He was right there with me. He not only knew some things, he did something. He blessed those who cursed him. For some of us, the victory today comes in knowing that God is with us. Others, we need to move into action. And we need to say, God, I'm going to follow what you're saying. And I'm not going to bless those who curse me. That's what Romans 12, 14 says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. What do we take away from that? We need to have an attitude that says, I will do good to those who hurt me. In an appropriate way where I'm not trying to bring danger to myself or someone else, but I'm going to repay evil with good. Matthew 5, 43 puts it this way. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. He knew what God had promised. He acted on God's truth, and he refused to take revenge. For us, we need to choose to forgive, to release those who have hurt us. That's what we talked about last week. And as we move forward, there is freedom that comes, and there is victory in the midst of the challenges we face. Friend, God is more interested in changing you and me than he is in changing our situations. It may be more popular for me to say, God will always give you everything you want. God will make everything in your life go perfect to your plan. Though you may enjoy hearing that, it would be a lie from hell. It would not be the great news of the gospel. For the good news we have tells us that God will never leave us, he'll never forsake us, and we will have persecution, we will have pain, we will have trials, and he will take every single one of them for those who love God with their life, they trust on him, he will turn them to the good for those who press into him. As we pray together this morning...
I appreciate your attentiveness in this different message, an overview of, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 chapters. That's kind of a record. Should have warned some of you to bring your lunch and dinner if we're going to go through 10 chapters together. But let's allow God to take the truths from Joseph's lives and to begin to give encouragement to us. Come tonight and the next number of Sunday nights as we look in depth at what we can get from Joseph's life that God is still in the business of doing. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters today. And this day that has truly been amazing, the day that you have created for us to worship you We celebrate in baptism today the testimony of those who have said, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. You have come in and you have made a difference. They have died to themselves. They've been raised out of the water in your likeness and new life flourishes in their heart. Lord, as we've already prayed, we, we gather as a body and we mourn with those who are mourning. We grieve with those who are grieving, but not as those who have no hope. We have tremendous hope in you. And Father, I pray today that you will take the seeds of Joseph's story and plant them deep in my brothers and sisters' heart today and allow them to grow. Father, I pray that you'll speak your encouragement. This is not what you did for Joseph because he was your favorite. This is not what you've done for certain people through the Old Testament and the New Testament because they lived a long time ago. This is how you work. This is who you are. You are the great I am. You are love. You are peace. You are life. You are our Savior. You are our deliverer. And right now, Father, I pray that you would help my brother and sister to reach out and take the victory that you hold out for them. Whether it's 13 more minutes, 13 months, or 13 years of adversity, we choose to trust you and allow you to bring about the good in our life. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. May God bless you. Join us tonight at 6 o'clock as we take part two and see how dysfunctional Joseph's family really was. It'll make you feel pretty good about your family if you wonder. Have a blessed day. See you tonight.